You're listening to Interviews, the podcast that cracks the entrepreneurship code. I'm your host, Laurent Autain. I'm an entrepreneur, coach to entrepreneurs, and startup mentor with more than 20 years' experience running companies and advising entrepreneurs. Being an entrepreneur is the most difficult job there is. There are no practical guidelines. So join me every week and learn how you can better navigate your entrepreneurship journey and become an exceptional entrepreneur. Welcome to episode 115 of Interviews Cracking the Entrepreneurship Code. I've had the chance to talk to more than 100 entrepreneurs on this podcast across industries and locations. We've many discussed about the good, the bad, and the ugly of entrepreneurship. And I can honestly say that I've learned a thing or two about entrepreneurship. So if you're an entrepreneur yourself or aspiring to become one, I'm sure you have many questions about how to do entrepreneurship right. Please send me your questions by email, contact at laurentautin.com, and I will make sure I take time to answer them, or better, I'll ask my future guests to answer the most challenging ones. So now, let's turn to my guest, Dr. Christopher Croner. He is an entrepreneur and sales psychologist with a PhD in clinical psychology, which he has used to study and understand one very particular category of people, salespeople. Chris founded Sales Drive LLC to help companies build better sales teams by improving their hiring process. Sales Drive has developed its own sales assessment test called the Drive Test to identify whether sales candidates have the most critical personality trait needed for success in sales drive and Chris will talk about that in more details. In addition, Chris has just released the new second edition of his book, Never Hire a Bad Salesperson, which details his psychological research and practice in identifying the non-teachable personality traits common to top producing salespeople. Hi, Chris. Welcome to the show. Hello, Laurent. Thank you so much. Thank you for the opportunity to be here, to be of service to uh, your audience. It's my privilege and I look forward to it. Me too. I know. I love talking about sales. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing more interesting. It's the lifeblood of any company. Yeah, I know. In, in, of life, maybe sometimes in general. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well said. Tell us a little bit about yourself first. Of course. Uh, in terms of my background, as you mentioned, got my PhD in uh, clinical psychology. And I started at a firm uh, thereafter called Whitmer and Associates in the suburbs of Chicago. Mm. Uh, that was a firm that specialized in what we call executive assessment. So sometimes companies will bring in a, a psychologist to uh, sit down with a prospective president of the company or VP to determine whether that person is going to be a good leader. So they'll right. undergo you know, a two-hour interview, personality assessment sometimes, intelligence testing, um, an in-basket exercise, which is sort of a... Um, uh, a, a sample of the person's work day to day. They want to determine whether or not the person's going to, you know, have the natural abilities to, uh, to 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 do well in that that job simulation. All of that comes together to determine whether the person is going to be potentially a good leader. Very rigorous. They wanted to design something as rigorous as that, only for salespeople, because again, sales mm -hmm. is the lifeblood of any company. And that's when I came on board in 2002 and began doing this research. And since October of 2002. All I have eat, breathed, and slept has been what is it that makes an effective salesperson, particularly the hunter salespeople of the world. Sales Drive was founded in 2005 with 
myself and my business partner, Richard Abraham. He's also my co-author on mm. Never Hire a Bad Salesperson Again. We have since worked with over 1,400 companies around the world. We've administered over 100,000 assessments, and I'm happy to share with you the best of what I've learned over all of that time in terms of what is it that leads someone to be successful in sales. Again, it's, it's something I truly enjoy because it's something that so many people think is just sort of a, a lost cause. You know, they have this idea that it's a churn and burn. You know, they're going to bring salespeople on board. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. And there's really no consistent way of doing it. But yes, there is. And we can talk about it. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure considering your experience, I'm sure you know a thing, a thing or two about it. I, I hear often entrepreneurs saying, oh, you know, I'm not good at, at sales. I, mm -hmm. I don't understand what selling is about. I, I, you know, I'm not good at convincing people. That's something else I hear a lot. So mm -hmm. tell us first, to, to, so that we get the big picture, what mm -hmm. is selling for you? Of course. Uh, in one sense, it's, of course, the um, act of exchanging uh, a good or service for another uh, item of value, if you will, mm. you know, m money. But that, that's, that's one side of it. But it's also the art of communicating. Again, as my um, business partner, Richard Abraham, would, would say, um, anyone who communicates for a living is selling. So you're always, you know, if you're communicating an idea and getting someone to accept that idea, you're also selling. So it's a very, it's, it's, a, it's a broad term, but whether it's exchanging an item for, you know, something else of value or communicating an idea, it takes a certain amount of certainty in the value that you have to convey, if you will. And it's having that certainty and that gumption, if you will, to go out and do that effectively. And I think that leads to, you know, those who are more successful in sales to have the success that, that they do. You know, it's that, that that sense of, I'm going to go out, I'm going to communicate the value of this item that I have, and I'm going to therefore succeed uh, in exchanging this item for something else of value. And we're going to do that effectively. And again, when done consistently, that is, of course, the lifeblood of any company, especially to an entrepreneur. Mm. You, you, you talk, you're talking about a certain amount of certainty to have. Is that one of the common key issues that you see when it comes to recruiting salespeople, lack of certainty? It certainly can be, yes. Uh, again, one of the challenges that salespeople often have or that business owners have, particularly entrepreneurs when they're starting out, is they're working with candidates who look great in the interview, who express certainty in the interview because they want that job. You know, they, they yeah. communicate themselves very well, but thereafter, they may not have that certainty that one needs, for example, when doing an activity like cold calling. If you ask your salesperson to get on the phone and, you know, make those cold calls, call someone, essentially get the door slammed in their face, you know, and sometimes have to knock on the next door with that much more certainty and passion and conviction psychologically. Mm. That's a very special person who can do that, who's able to have that resilience, if you will. So that, that's part of that certainty, being able to be knocked down and then stand up again and say, no, 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 that was one example. But I know that, you know, I'm a 50 percent shooter, if you will. I know that the next shot is definitely going to go in. So that that's that certainty, that's that sense of I know what I have is of value. I know it's just a matter of communicating that to enough people. The law of large numbers will win the day. And so what are the common patterns you see like companies or your clients or before they become your clients, <laughs> you know, what are the yes. common patterns you see them making or the, the, the bad patterns you see them making when it comes to recruiting salespeople? Of course. Um, again, that they start out with the attitude of, you know, what is it that leads somebody to succeed in sales? And yeah. if you ask the average person, what is it that leads somebody to succeed in sales? They're going to say things like, oh, the person needs the gift of gap or they need to be persuasive. You know, they yes. need to have great relationship skills or, you know, when I'm interviewing someone, I want somebody who's going to be likable. So what do they do? They do the best they can. They sit down with a candidate. They talk with them about, you know, their their previous experience. The candidate has, you know, their 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 canned speech, if you will. 
uh, and then they, they, the hiring manager wants to determine whether the person is going to be likable or whether they're going to have good relationship skills or whether they know how to sell. Well, whether they can sell is very different than whether they will sell. And most often during the interview, someone can probably do the best to determine whether that candidate can sell, you know, sell me this pencil. They, you know, they do the best that they can, but they don't determine whether they really will. So that candidate sits down, they say all the right things in the interview. And sometimes that's the best sale you ever see out of that person is during the interview process. <laughs> then six months thereafter, um, a year thereafter, you're left asking, wait a minute, what happened to the person whom I interviewed? You know, what, where, where did that person go? And that that's the challenge. That's the biggest challenge they come to us with is, you know, one of the one of the questions I'll ask at the beginning of a call is what led you to call us? You know, what led you to to have an interest in, in sales assessments? And they'll say, well, we've made some mistakes and those right. mistakes fall into that same pattern again and again. The person looks great in the interview. Again, the interviewer, the entrepreneur is doing the best they can to pick somebody out uh, who's going to be successful in that role. But again, that that unfortunately, the match just isn't there because that salesperson just doesn't have uh, that, you know, those underlying non-teachable characteristics. And again, as an entrepreneur, when you're hiring your salesperson, especially your very first salesperson, you're putting all your hopes and dreams in that one individual. That is probably mm. one of, if not the most critical hire you'll ever make is in that first person. So it's it's absolutely worth spending the amount of time you need to, to, to find the individual who's going to be a good match for that role and not to be, um, not, not, not to be too enamored for example, with somebody with great experience, that's another classic mistake oftentimes entrepreneurs will make is they'll look for a salesperson, they'll find somebody with a great, say, resume, uh, somebody who's been successful, let's say a very large company who's selling a product that is similar to the one that we're selling as an entrepreneur. Yeah. And so it can be very tempting to say, okay, this person's had all this great experience at this very large company. Surely they must have had world-class sales training. Therefore, surely they'll bring that same degree of success to bear for us. Yeah. But the key question is what really led to their success? Was it always their own effort or was it really the fact that in some cases they had all that brain recognition and collateral material? They're really kind of opening the doors to them, making it much easier. Rather, it can be better to find that person who's had experience, maybe two to three years of relevant previous experience at a similarly sized company. So they've had sales one-on-one, especially if you don't have the opportunity to train them. They've dealt with the challenges that are inherent when they don't necessarily have all the advantages of a large company and they've done that successfully. Another element that can cause that, that struggle or can make it even more challenging is if you have a product that's relatively new. Let's say you as an entrepreneur have developed a new product, something that uh, say it has a longer sales cycle, it takes a while to mm. move from that first call to the close and requires, say, an establishment of trust or is a concept that perhaps your, your clients or your prospects aren't necessarily going to be as familiar with. Now you have a situation where you really need an evangelist, if you will. And mm. in that situation, you're always better finding an individual. We can talk about how to do that, but finding an individual who has the background, who has done that successfully, who has been an evangelist before and has those non-teachable, those three non-teachable traits underneath the surface that are essential as a hunter. That combination of that experience, that background and those non-teachable traits shows they have the knowledge and they have the passion to execute on that knowledge. Those are the challenges that they, the entrepreneurs typically face when hiring salespeople. And that is what I found to be one of the best ways to get around. Right. Okay. So let's, let's take a, let's take an example. Mm -hmm. uh, what is your ideal client? Ideal. You know, it, it really kind of, it really kind of de depends. We work with companies of all sizes, companies that mm -hmm. are, that are just start starting out <clears throat> hiring the very first salesperson all the way to companies who hire hundreds of salespeople. So uh, my ideal client to me <clears throat> in terms of background is really somebody who, uh, has 
uh, has, has that struggle, you know, really, really wants to learn. Somebody who's who's a lifelong learner, if you will, yeah. who comes to us and sa says, look, I you know we're having trouble hiring salespeople. We really want to get better. How can we do that? And that's what I think is most rewarding to me. You know, someone who can, who who's really just a sponge for that information. I just okay. enjoy that. Now, in terms of the business, of course, uh, the ideal client is someone who does a subscription uh, yeah. to, <laughs> to our, our sales assessment, of course. Of but, course. but to me, what's really rewarding is being able to share the knowledge that I've gained over the last, what, 20 plus years, plus, especially mm. with someone who's just getting started, who, who understands what, you know, what, what they don't know and really wants to learn, want, wants to grow and wants to take advantage because all of the ancillary consulting we, we, we provide, we don't charge extra for it. So okay, that's what's most rewarding for me is someone who's really willing to take advantage of that and give me the opportunity to share everything that I've learned. Kind okay, of like so let's, let's assume you have that person. Mm -hmm. what, what would be the process then? Of course, uh, oftentimes they'll give us a call. They'll they'll find us online. They'll start yeah. doing web searches around the idea of you know what is it that makes a successful salesperson or what you know why why do some salespeople look so good in the interview but end up underperforming and they'll find us uh, and they'll reach out and they'll want to do a sample assessment. So they'll often conduct that. They may want to take it themselves or they'll want to give it to a salesperson whom they know is successful. They'll get those results. Then they'll have a chance to schedule a call. And mm. I'm happy to talk with them directly if they would like to speak with me. Um, mm. it's, it's something that I really enjoy, even after having done this with 1400 companies, I, I enjoy when someone first comes to us and says, you know, this is a struggle for us. Can you help us? Is there a consistent process? Yes, there is. And so mm. I'll walk them through, you know, here are the three non-teachable characteristics that we found over the la last, what, about 95, almost hundred years of research now lead somebody to be successful in sales, as well as looking at our own research at sales drive. And here's how to consistently find them. Here's a process you can use an assessment. You can use here are questions to ask in the interview. Here's a way to score those questions. And here are all the other elements of the sales ecosystem, if you will, to keep in mind as you bring the person on board to maximize your chances of success. So that's really the process. They engage us in that way. Then they engage our online assessment. And that's our main product, of course, is our online assessment that they use. Uh, to uh, to hire salespeople, to give to their sales candidates, and then look at those results and use those to determine okay who should we bring to the interview and who should we who should, who should we onboard at that point. Mm. You you mentioned there are those three traits, mm -hmm. which you know that's, these are the common characteristics of great salespeople. In your book, you're talking about the David Beckham's drive. Mm -hmm. well, so can you tell us what is what is the drive or the David Beckham's drive to be more specific, and and how does it relate to salespeople? Of course. So in terms of David Beckham, we often talk about his drive in some ways related to one of the characteristics we look at, optimism. At the age of 13, uh, his coach, David Beckham's coach, told him that he was too small, too small mm. to play football for England. Yeah. And if you think about any coach saying that to an athlete, that can, that can be very you know painful. If you think about the age of 13, someone who's an, a trusted authority says yeah. that to you, that can be especially painful because that, that that's like being stricken down by someone whom you look to as an authority figure. Uh, and in many cases, people would go home and they'd be hurt by that crushed and say, OK, well, maybe this just isn't the career for me. And now it had that to be had to be a big moment of decision. That person, you know, am I going to take this? Am I going to take this word and say, OK, you know, I'm going to go off and kind of do something else? Or am I going to double down? Am mm -hmm. I going to take that this as a challenge as opposed to a permanent rejection? And he took it as a challenge. You know, he took that he took that negativity and said, no, I'm going to prove that I can do this. I'm going to prove that I can play football for England. And that became rather than um, rather than a setback, that became a hunger for him. You know, yeah. he, that became part of his drive, that hunger. And you see that pattern a lot, Laurent. You see that in athletes like Michael Jordan. You know, he didn't make 
uh, the varsity team, I think his sophomore or year. So he had to go to junior varsity. And rather than, again, many people would be impressed with going to, going to junior varsity, but he said, you know, he said, no, I want to make varsity. And because he wasn't able to do that, that became his fuel. And it's mm. that mentality of, okay, I'm going to get knocked down, but I'm going to let, I'm going to let that hurt me. I'm not going to let that uh, be the, the thing that stops me. I'm going to let that fuel me. And if you think about it, that's a very special person. As I mentioned, yeah. the person who in sales can get knocked down, stand up again, knock on that next door. That's, that's a very rare trait, if you will. And that's, again, when it comes to sales, that's often the challenge people have because it's, again, natural oftentimes for a prospect to want to say no. Yeah, because again, they don't know you, they don't know the product, they're, you know, they're, they're going to be resistant in many cases to what you're bringing forth. And as a salesperson, it can be very tempting, particularly when you're starting out to hear that no and think, okay, well, that, that's it. This is a permanent no. Whereas yes. someone with a slightly different mindset can take that no and come back and say, well, how about now? You know, let, let's, let's adjust our approach, <laughs> let's change. Uh, so that, that's one of the things that, um, that the most successful salespeople are able to do. Stand up, dust themselves off, go back to that, that next, go back to that same prospect, keep trying again, again and again until they're able to communicate the value successfully to yeah. that person. Not but everybody can, can do that. Yeah, and I can, see, I can see how easy it is to say in an interview that you are like that. Yep. But how difficult it is to actually uh, evaluate that yes. you're like that. Yes. So so how, how can you, without giving us all the secret recipes, but can you give us like one or two examples of, of practical practical things that you can that people can do, entrepreneurs can do to to find the drive in, in of course in people? Of course. I'm gonna have to give you as much as I can, you know, in terms of the, the you know, the really number one is identifying what does it mean. You know, when mm. I started this work, it was, well, you know, drive is important. We know drive is essential. What does it mean for a salesperson to be driven? And again, as I mentioned, looking at the research that's been conducted over the last 85, 90, 100 years now, as well as our own work, we find there are three key non-teachable characteristics where if yeah. you keep three characteristics in mind to assess an interview for, these are the ones that tend to lead to success time and time again, particularly for a hunter. So when it's to go out and bring in new accounts, the first one is what we call the need for achievement. And that's the person, Laurent, who wants to do well simply for the sake of doing well, who's constantly focused on setting the bar high, jumping over that, setting it higher again the next time and mm. pursuing, and this is important, excellence just for the sake of excellence. That characteristic need for achievement, again, the research shows again and again is important not only for salespeople, but also for entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. People have to kind of wake up every morning and make it happen and there's nobody standing over them watching them. That's the first piece, need for achievement, particularly as you can imagine, as companies have to hire and, and bring people on board who work remotely, they can't stand over their shoulder all day. So yeah. that's the first piece. They need to make sure they have that. The second piece is competitiveness. The competitive salesperson we find really wants to do two things. Number one, they want to be the best among their, their team. They're always comparing their performance to their peers because they just need to know how they stack up. But number two, they want to win that prospect over to their point of view, because to them, uh, psychologically, that sale is kind of like a contest of wills. And then the mm. third piece is optimism again. And that's the salesperson's sense of certainty that they will succeed and their resilience to remain persistent when they face the inevitable rejection that again, a salesperson has to deal with. We find it's those three characteristics then all together, need for achievement, competitiveness, and optimism that psychologically uh, create sort of the perfect storm, if you will. And collectively, we refer to those three characteristics as drive. Therefore, during your interview, you want to keep in mind the best predictor of future behavior is previous behavior. And past the age of 21, 22, there's not much we can really do to change the person's overall level of drive. It's kind of either it's there or it's not. And again, mm. candidates will, will fake that very well. We find that drive is the most difficult trait 
to assess in an interview and the easiest for a candidate to fake. So during the interview, you want to make sure you're always asking the candidate about behavior they've engaged in in the past at work that reflects these characteristics we would like for them to show for us. So for example, when it comes to need for achievement, one of my favorite questions is, tell me about the greatest goal you've ever accomplished professionally. Mm. Really have the person flesh that goal out and describe it for you. Then you can reflect back to them. I mean, you've got to be proud of that. How do you tend to top it? Again, the person high in need for achievement has a plan to top it, and they're excited about the opportunity to tell you about it. Or what kinds of sacrifices have you had to make to be successful? What does that person consider to be a sacrifice? Was it maybe they had to work a couple of weekends last year, or was it something more substantial? Now compare that to the kinds of sacrifices you've seen your top performers have to make over time. Or we talked about optimism, you know, with David Beckham. Tell me about a time when you were persistent, even though everyone else around you gave up. Now tell me about another time, you know, just giving mm. those consistent examples. Tell me about the last time you were competitive at work. What did that look like for you? You know, if you just ask the candidate broadly, tell me about the last time you were competitive. Oftentimes they'll bring up a situation maybe at the gym uh, a couple of days before. Maybe they were running around the track and someone started to laugh them. So they had to run a little bit faster. We always ask you then to bring that back to the world of work. What, what, what did that really look like at work? And again, we're looking for the candidate that relishes competitions. Where even if there's not a formal competition in place, they will try to make one. They just need to know how they stack up, if you will, compared to their peers. Those are the sorts of consistent questions to ask in the interview. Keeping in mind, these are the three traits to look for. And then the best predictor of future behavior is previous behavior. Right. And this is how recruiting becomes an art. <laughs> yes. 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 And it's all about looking, okay, not only in the interview process, but before the interview, what do you look for in a yeah. resume or a LinkedIn profile? You know, what, what, what's, what sorts of characteristics can you, can you find then? And then just, again, having that consistent process, it's an art uh, in terms of perfecting a system. We'll talk about systems, I think, later on, but having a system in place, a consistent system in place that you can follow. Think about how much more effective that is than just kind of sitting down with the candidate and going, well, hope I like this person. Let's see if they're a likable person. Yeah. Uh, you know, to, in determining whether the person is has the gift of gab, you know, things of, of that nature. Those are all teachable. You can teach relationship skills. You can teach persuasion. Those are important, but they're teachable. Whereas mm. past the age of 21, 22, drive is either it's there or it's not. So it's all about hiring for the thing that we cannot change and then potentially building and changing the ones that we can. I was, uh, while I was listening to you talking about drive, I had the impression you were talking about entrepreneurs. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Because that's know, the same, same three characteristics. <laughs> yes, exactly. Particularly need for achievement. If you look up, uh, just uh, looking up the, the re research, need for achievement and entrepreneurship, you'll see study after study that shows that that tends to differentiate entrepreneurs. They have that need for achievement. You know, the person who is able to kind of take their destiny in their own hands. You know, yeah. they want to do well for its own sake. They want to constantly climb that mountain, if you will. That's a very special person. Not everybody has it. But that is, that's a very, you know, if you look at a Venn diagram, very much in common between the successful entrepreneur and the successful hunter salesperson. Mm -hmm. Well, it's true that at the beginning anyway, uh, when you're small, you have to be the salesperson. Yes. Yes, exactly. And it, it's it's something that when you're when you're first, you know, bringing that person on board, you have to let go of a little bit too. You yeah. know, giving that salesperson the opportunity to to kind of shine and, and do their own thing. And that can be challenging as well. But mm -hmm. yes, you're exactly right. You know, you are the first salesperson. And it's that need for achievement that caused you to move into entrepreneurship. And that is what will serve you well as you know, in that sales role as a hunter too. Mm -hmm. So talking about entrepreneurship, you are an entrepreneur yourself. Mm -hmm. What does it mean for you to be an entrepreneur? Well, as I mentioned, uh, to me, number one, um, your destiny is in your own hands. That's critical. That's what I enjoy the most, I think, about it. You know, there's nobody else uh, that, are, that you're beholden to other than, you know, your own ambition. 
At the same time, I think it's the most rewarding career path for someone who wants the freedom to find out how much they can achieve through their own uh, planning, through their own execution, and through their mm. own perseverance. It also means, I think importantly, being comfortable with uncertainty. And to me, this was the thing that I struggled with the most, yeah. uh, being comfortable with the, the uncertainty inherent of being an entrepreneur, uh, developing. So how do, you, how do you get around that uncertainty? Well, there's so much, again, that you know the lack of structure is great and it can be terrifying, especially when you're first starting. So one of the ways to deal with that, I found eff effectively, is to have systems in place, consistent systems in place to get you the goals that you want so that you can execute those, those systems. Uh, so rather rather than you know sitting down each day without a, a specific plan, having a plan every day going in with your written goals for that day, and then mm. breaking those down into a consistent system, rather rather than again just kind of winging anything, just having a consistent process in place for everything that you do, every call you make, every email that that you do, every time you sit down that so you're never wasting time, you're always executing on a system. I find the more systems that you can put in place uh, to to uh, to realize your, your goals, the more effectively you can cut through any sense or any any concern that you may have with uncertainty, because you will have added the structure uh, yeah. for yourself. And it gives you it gives you like kind of a clarity of direction. You know what you have yes. to do for 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 the day. Uh, yes. Can you share can you share other lessons you've learned throughout your mm -hmm. entrepreneurial journey? I think one of the biggest ones is, and I've heard I think uh, Darren Hardy mentioned this. Um, he's he's a, a great mentor to entrepreneurs. Um, as, as well, you know, when you're, when you're setting a, a strong goal, when you, when you have like the top of the mountain that you've, you've set yourself to, to climb, it can be tempting at the top of the staircase uh, to stare at the top of the mountain and go, wow, it is so high. Or stare at the top of that staircase. Wow. You know, that, that's such a big climb. How am I going to do that? Mm. Well, rather than focusing too much at the, of, on the top of the staircase, focus on the next step, focus yeah. on the next step, just that one step. You know, it's a lot of steps to get to the top of, to the top of the staircase, but you can do one step. You can do one thing that day. Focus on that. And then do that the next day and the next day and the next day. And before you know it, you're at the top. So it's that, it's that focus. That, that's the first thing, focus on the next step. Number two, again, as I mentioned, break your goals down into consistent systems, daily routines and habits. That'd be the yeah. second thing, so having systems in place. And number three, and this is really important, cultivate an attitude of service in everything that you do. When you cultivate an attitude of service, you know, I, I do that as much as possible with my clients. How can I best be of service to you? When I cultivate that attitude of service and I encourage anyone else to do the same thing, it puts you in the right mindset to give as much value as possible. And when you give as much value as possible to your clients, you will naturally stand out from everyone else as a service provider uh, whom your client may be considering because you are the one who's giving that consistent value, who's taking that servant attitude, who realizes, realizes that it is your privilege to be of service to that person. Keeping that mm. attitude all day long in every interaction you have with your client to be the third recommendation that I would have in that regard. Cultivate the culture of service is is interesting uh, because I can see you're doing I can see you're doing that in the interaction that we that we have had uh, mm -hmm. so far. How can we get better at it? Uh, in terms of improving it, in terms of improving uh, that attitude, it's sort of like yeah. um, I would take it back to the most simplistic form would be just as as you as you study in school. You know, when when you're a kid wanting to get an A, if you will, what can I do to get an A and get extra credit? You know, I always want to go above and beyond. So how can I go above and beyond? Always asking yourself, the, the questions you ask yourself determine the results that you get. So if you're always asking yourself the question, how can I, okay, take this question, take the situation and go above and beyond as much as possible in something as simple as answering a question or something as complicated as delivering on a complex project. How can I always go above and beyond where I know the client's expectation is X? How can I deliver X plus 10? 
You know, what, what can I do to take that to the next level? And by doing so, by doing so consistently, you stop thinking about it all the time because it just becomes your, your motive of operating. You don't think about mm -hmm. it in, in terms of a, you know, a conscious thought. It just becomes your unconscious way of operating. And again, that differentiates you. When people speak with you, when you have that attitude of service, they they just they they naturally will light up during during that call when they first connect with you. Uh, again, my co-author, I never hire a bad salesperson again, and business partner Richard Abraham wrote a book called Mr. Schmooze: The Art and Science of Selling Through Relationships, and it's all about this character in this book, Mr. Schmooze, who really finds out in terms of sales what is it that's most important to his prospects and his clients personally, and uses that as the um, the center, if you will, of that relationship to the point that every time that character walks in and meets with that client, they light up, they're excited to see that person because they know they're going to bring them value every single time. So when you have the attitude, okay, the client or the prospect is going to ask, ask for X every time, I'm going to deliver X times 10, if you will, and doing that consistently, um, that that is the 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 operationalization, as they would say in psychology, or the uh, the definition of delivering uh, in terms of a, a service orientation. And that's what I recommend doing. That, that'll set you apart every single time, especially when it becomes an unconscious habit. Yeah, because because if it stays in a, a conscious habit, you can you can see people faking it. Mm -hmm. And you, you actually see it when people fake it and yep. you know it doesn't build trust. Yep. So it's, exactly. it's, for me, there's 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 the risk. This that's the big risk I I see. Not to mm -hmm. be genuine about it, mm -hmm. uh, which which is something else that you see in bad salespeople uh, yes. habits, not being yes. genuine, uh, you know, wanting to sell for the sake for the sake of of selling. Uh -huh. So how, how do you make sure that you don't fall into that that trap? Ah, um, you know, there's really a couple of things. You know, as as an entrepreneur. Uh, you want to make sure that you're genuinely, I guess, thankful. You know that that you have yeah. someone who's reaching reaching out to you that you that is giving you the opportunity. To be of service and that's one of the things that to me i'm that's what i'll always say thank you so much for that opportunity to be of service but when you're hiring salespeople, that's the next thing to think about you know are you bringing someone on board who's going to potentially fall into that trap uh mm -hmm. and that then affects your entire company because as we mentioned that first sales hire you make especially as an entrepreneur is critical so then how do you make sure that you bring somebody on board for example that as you say is not just motivated by money not something that companies will often come to us with the with the struggle you know i want somebody who's motivated by money and then they, at the same time, they'll come to saying, well, we brought this salesperson on, on board. Say it was our first salesperson. They get up to a certain level of production and then they just leveled off and we can't figure out why. We've seen them sell before. We know they have what it takes. What happened? Well, again, generally, Laurent, when that salesperson is just motivated by money, they're motivated by a lifestyle. So what they'll right. do is they'll do whatever they need to do to reach that lifestyle. And then they'll know what they need to quote unquote phone in quarter after quarter just to maintain. But the, again, when a company just looks for somebody who's motivated by money or who has a mortgage, a couple of car payments, kids in school, these external pressures, okay, great, the salesperson will work to relieve those pressures. But once those are relieved, again, now they know what they need to phone in. Whereas mm. the person motivated by need for achievement will continue to excel. They'll continue to produce. Money's still important to them to be sure, but there's a subtle distinction. They look at money the same way that, say, a great athlete looks at points on the scoreboard. Mm. It's how they show how well they've done rather than their goal in and of itself. So it's a subtle distinction, but it's then finding the person who's motivated in particular by need for achievement, asking those questions regarding need for achievement, using an assessment to look at need for achievement, bringing someone on board that's high in that characteristic. Then even if they are doing something that's getting in their own way behaviorally, you can sit them down and you can show them how making an adjustment 
will improve their performance. Someone high in need for achievement, Laurent, is again, sort of like the, the kid in school that has to get high marks. It's that mentality. So they're like a sponge. If they are doing something that's getting in their own way, they will want to improve. They'll want to take that guidance. That's why, again, of those three elements of drive that we talked about, we weight need for achievement the most heavily. All right. Very, very interesting, uh, Chris. Um, I, I, I have a question based on, on what I do. You know, I help entrepreneurs stop being the bottleneck in their businesses. So let me ask you, when was the last time you were the bottleneck? What happened? Oh, well, I think uh, one of the challenges for me is the uh, the art of delegation. Aha. So <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a good one. <laughs> the, the art of delegation, if you will, being able to to delegate things to other others, and even yeah. even day to day. Um, if, I would say even within the last last week, there was a situation where we were, you know, taking in a, a lot of information. We're engaging a lot of new projects as we're looking over, over you know, into the next year, 2023. And it's always my tendency to want to, you know, do all the research for a given pro project myself. Because I get, I think one of the challenges I personally have is as someone who started out on the academic side, um, mm -hmm. I get interested in all the details. I get interested in curiosity for its own sake. And so I'll begin yeah. to do research on something and get kind of kind of stuck in well that, that's an interesting idea how does that relate to this other thing and and as i get stuck in research you can start spending a lot of time researching an idea and perfecting an idea rather than delegating it to someone uh, who might be a little bit more mercenary and saying okay you know let's 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 look look at this 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 concept this new uh uh, say marketing initiative that we want to yeah. do as as i mentioned over the next year what can we do in terms of making that efficient uh, in terms of ga gathering the research for it rather than kind of broadly looking at you know all the concepts related to uh, say, well, you know, what what would pers persuade someone effectively or what's what's the entire history of marketing around, you know, X, Y, Z concept. I just get, I think when when I start researching something, I, I can often get fascinated for its own sake. Now, the benefit to that is that's what led us at the beginning to produce the drive model. That was really the breakthrough that we had that, that gave us our business idea. You know, what is it that there's so many tests out there? What is it that we could use to differentiate our own assessment? Well, we look at something no one else does, drive. What? How did we identify that? And it was from, you know, months and months of identifying, you know, what are the key characteristics, then testing for them for years that we really identified and sharpened those up. So that curiosity has helped me out, but it can get in my own way at times. So it's all about, <laughs> it's all about delegating effectively and not letting that, you know, not getting too wrapped up. I can do that in my spare time. Yeah. It's very interesting what you said, because it ties into all the bottleneck symptoms, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, the fear of letting go, for instance, yep. which you mentioned the 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 fact that you your role should evolve as the company as the company scales scales up for for instance very very interesting thank you thank you for sharing welcome of course of course <laughs> now if you take all your experience as an entrepreneur and, and before that what is the one practical recommendation uh, that you would give to any entrepreneurs to help them succeed you know relative to what we said before keeping that student's mindset you know, yeah. you never stop learning. I think that that keeps you aware of what other people have done well, what you know, the challenges they've faced and how they've overcome them. Um, I think sometimes, again, as an entrepreneur, we talked about that uncertainty and it can feel like you know, you're the first person that's ever dealt with, you know, this, this set of challenges that you're having. No one's ever done this before. Well, no, uh, people have, ch chances are, you know, by the law, large numbers, people have dealt with challenges very similar to the ones that you have, you are dealing with. So keeping yes. up, uh, keep keeping up with, um, a peer group of some kind at the same time, keeping that student's attitude. You know, you never know it all. You're never there. You can always learn more. So keeping that, that willingness to, 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 to learn, to, uh, to study as much as possible. And there's so many resources out there 
But when you keep that mindset, you end up uh, naturally seeking out the wisdom of the people who have made it through or who have done what you've done successfully, or at least in some way, and can give you a roadmap. And that roadmap, when someone hands you a roadmap, that, that gives you the confidence to pers persevere. When you see other people doing well, when you see other, other people succeeding in, in some area, it can give you the confidence to, to exert that little amount of extra effort as well. I can talk about, you know, we, we were, we're talking uh, before our session about um, about exercise and and about athletics. And yeah. for my, myself, even just with doing something like lifting weights, doing something like a bench press. If I'm bench pressing all alone in the gym, there's no one else there. I might think, well, this weight's a little bit heavy. But when mm. someone comes and bench presses a, a, you know, a couple of benches down and puts on weight, maybe a little bit heavier uh, than what I'm doing, maybe something close, closer to what I used to lift when I was younger and I see, I watch them doing it. Well, it doesn't feel so heavy at all anymore at that point, <laughs> you know, you know, so yeah. having someone to watch, you know, even that, even that very simplistic example, take that simplistic example of that in that moment. Now extrapolate that to life as an entrepreneur. When you have a peer group, when you have other people who you can see who are, who are succeeding that naturally psychologically that can spur you on as well not only to know that yes you should persevere but also to give you that inspiration to look at okay who else has succeeded in this area what other ideas can i get what other um what, how can i seek out a roadmap because when you yeah. seek out a roadmap when someone comes comes out of that that forest that can show you, okay here here's the path to take and you follow that that path knowing that that that's there keeping that student's mindset i think that would be the one piece of advice that i would give someone keep that mindset be willing to learn be willing to have a peer group that can that can help to give you that energy to, to continue uh to uh to, to to maintain that optimism if you will even when challenges are tough you know we look at somebody who is successful as a salesperson particularly with optimism you're typically looking for someone who even on their darkest day they know they are going to be successful and of course mm. when you surround yourself with a peer group like that and when you surround yourself drink deep from the well of good books again mm. and again if you will you will find inspiration to that yourself so keeping the students minds amazing great great recommendation last question how can people contact you Oh, of course, uh, salesdrive.info. That is our website. At salesdrive.info, any of uh, your audience members who are hiring salespeople can get a complimentary assessment they can, they can use. Mm -hmm. I'm happy to walk them through the results of that personally uh, over the phone or through a Zoom call. Uh, and that that's where to go to, to find out more, salesdrive.info. There's a big link to use to request a sample test. It would be our pleasure to be of service to any of them. And remind us the title of your book. Never hire a bad salesperson again. It is in its second edition. It's available on Amazon in hardcover and Kindle. Excellent. Well, Chris, thank you very much for your time today. Laurent, thank you so much for the pleasure to be of service. Again, I greatly, greatly appreciate it. And thank you for listening. I'd love to hear your feedbacks. Reach out to me by email or on LinkedIn and let me know what your favorite part of this episode was. See you next time. Bye for now.